How many of you have ever had a real important place you're supposed to be, a, a special place you're supposed to be, an appointment, and you missed it? Forgot about it, missed it. Raise your hand. Be honest. Some of you ain't raise your hand. Ah. You know, sometimes we just miss stuff. Oh, we don't mean to. And sometimes we really, really regret that we missed it. But we miss it. I want to talk about that today and, and look at just three, three principles I want to share with you today as we go into the fullness of the Christmas season. And let's just see what God's going to teach us today. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Now, just so you know that Joseph and Mary are on their way to Bethlehem because every 14 years, you had to register for taxes. Had to get an update on you, figure out, make sure you knew you were, and get you logged in so they could get you money. Some things never change. So, here's what we have. He's on the way, and he's bringing Mary because she is about to have the baby Jesus. They have traveled 70 to 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Ladies, I don't even know how to imagine if you're pregnant and about to have a baby and you, they put you on a donkey for 70 to 80 miles. But that's what happened to Mary. She was ready to have baby Jesus. And so uh, they get there and, and here's what takes place. Verse 7. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in snuggling strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because because there was no lodging available for them it was a busy time people had come to register from all over and now they got there and there was no place in the normal lodging places the holiday inn was full uh, the days inn was full Motel 6 was full. Here's what I want you to see. It's easy to do everything at Christmas. It's so easy to do everything at Christmas that we miss the main thing of Christmas, which is Jesus. It is a busy time. Man, Christmas is busy because we've got to get food and we've got to get gifts and we've got to get decorations and we've got to figure out how we're going to get to all the different parts of our families. This Christmas, I'm, you know, I've got, a, I've got just a great celebration for Christmas coming, but I've also got a wedding coming the Saturday after Christmas. And we're busy. Man, we're just trying to get, get things done. I'll tell you, I'm excited. My daughter Vicky's getting married and, and one of the things I'm getting for Christmas this year is a son-in-law. Uh, it's kind of neat, but, uh, and you certainly, I want to again invite you and remind you to come if you'd love to come on Saturday at, uh, and be a part of this celebration with us. But I, I want you to know it's busy. And if we're not careful, we get so busy doing stuff and, and, and making the stuff look good that we miss the main thing of Christmas, which is Jesus. Can I tell you it's real easy to do? So I want to call our attention to this truth today and, and let us look at this, make sure that we don't miss the most important thing about Christmas, and that's Jesus. If the turkey burns, it's not the end of the world. Okay? If somebody doesn't get you that present you really wanted, it's not terminal. Okay? The main thing is Jesus. And so I want to make sure that we kind of get that today. And look at this. The first thing I want to see is that 
we get distracted by other things, and that's sometimes how we miss Christmas. We just get distracted. The, uh, obviously, Joseph had gone to a place and said, I, I need a place for my, my wife, Mary. She's about to have a baby. And the innkeeper said, we don't have room for you. Business is good. We got a man, I'm packed out. I ain't got room. True story, pageant, uh, Christmas pageant for children. They would put it together and they got it all planned out. And, and came the time were, all the little children came together and they, they were going to sing and, and, and play out the Christmas story. And, of course, they had to sign parts. And one little boy kind of really had his heart set on being Joseph because he really liked who was playing Mary. And he's going, this would be great. I'd love to be there. And, and so anyway, but the problem was he didn't get the part. Another little boy got the part and he got the part of the innkeeper. Well, it kind of disappointed him. He thought, what can I do to really make my part shine? Because I wanted to be Joseph. I'm going to be the innkeeper. And so, sure enough, the pageant's on. And it comes time for Mary and Joseph to walk down toward uh, where they had uh, built something that looked like the, the Bethlehem Inn. And they had a door on it. And Joseph will come up with Mary. And, and, and he's knocking on the door. And, and the innkeeper, this little boy, the innkeeper, opens the door. And Joseph says, listen, my wife is with child. Do you have a place for us to stay? And the little boy thought long and hard what he was going to do when that moment came as the innkeeper. And he said this to Joseph, I sure do. We'll make room for you. Come on in. <laughs> well, it kind of caught everybody by surprise. They're going, whoa. And then the, and the guy playing Joseph, he's like, he's like stunned. And here's what he does. He walks in past that little maid door, takes a second, comes back out and said, my wife and I would never stay here. We'd rather stay in a stable and walked on. <laughs> oh, Christmas. The innkeeper that night said no to a woman who's about to have a child. He said, well, he didn't know, Pastor. He was in Bethlehem. Every Jew knew the Messiah was coming one day. Every Jew understood that there would be a miraculous, mysterious virgin birth, according to Isaiah. And they had been told that by their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents. They passed on from generation to generation that one day Messiah is coming. He's going to come. And they should have been looking. The innkeeper should have said, maybe this is the time we're in Bethlehem. And Micah said the child's going to be born in Bethlehem. And maybe this is the child. But he missed it. He was distracted by other things. Business was good. He didn't have time. And he missed it. He missed it. He should have been looking for Jesus. You see, we really should be looking to experience Jesus this Christmas season in a new and fresh way because he is here. We're going to talk about that on Christmas Eve at 10 o'clock. We're going to have a great celebration. Candlelight service, I hope you'll be here. Don't get distracted. Miss it. He just got distracted like so many of us do. We get distracted and caught up and we're so busy doing the Christmas stuff that we miss really enjoying Christmas. May I suggest to you, don't do that. Back off some stuff. 
If it, you know, if the house is not perfectly clean, it is not perfectly clean. Jesus was born in the stable. It's okay. He's not going to be offended. You see, uh, we, we, get, we do stuff and we're going, man, I, I just don't know. So he didn't have room. But also forgotten the promise. The centerpiece of Jewish hope was Messiah would become. And may I say to you, nothing is more important this Christmas season than seeking Christ. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing's more important than seeking Christ. The shepherds, as busy as they were when they got the word, were no longer distracted. They laid down everything and ran to see what God had done. May we have such a spirit this Christmas season that we do that. There's a second thing, and it's over in Matthew chapter 2. Jesus had been born, and we're still really a part of the Christmas season because we always include the wise men in it. And what has happened, he has been born now, time has lapsed, but the wise men have seen his star, and they they have understood some of the things that God has revealed to them, and they are now moving forward to worship the King of the Jews. What a, a powerful statement. And they come, they don't know exactly where he is, so they've come to Herod, which would make sense. Herod's kind of the reigning guy. He should know about the birth of the king of the Jews. And, and so they come to ask him for directions, and he says, I don't know, but let me find out. And verse 3 of chapter 2 of Matthew, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Note the word disturbed. They were troubled. They were like, oh, uncomfortable. Everyone in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the center of Jewish life. You think it would be the one place. Again, they had been anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And yet they're disturbed when news of him might be here. And so here's what happens. He said, uh, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? There was some knowledge. He said, okay, where is this supposed to happen? Well, Bethlehem. All right. The prophets knew. The scribes knew. Please understand the second thing I want you to get. Sometimes we get disturbed of what we might lose. We get disturbed at what we might lose. Do you know why King Herod was disturbed? He now had a rival to his throne. He thought, wait a minute, there's another lineage coming here. Whoa, whoa, I'm the king of the Jews. That's my title here in in this region, he was not a believer of God. He was simply given this position because uh, he had done some things, his family had done some things for Rome, and they allowed him to rule over Jerusalem. And, and to win favor with the people, he built a temple. He did some things, but he really was a pretty, pretty uh, violent guy. And so what you find is he is aware of some of the things around Jewish thought, and when these guys show up and say, we're looking for the king of the Jews. He's been born. Where is he? Herod's disturbed at what he might lose. The Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers came together and said, yeah, here's what the prophet said. Micah said he'd be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah said he'd be born a virgin. And they knew all this stuff. And yet they were disturbed. You would think they would be excited. You'd think they'd be throwing their stuff in there and saying, he's here, he's here, he's here. But no, they were disturbed. Because of what they might lose. They become people of prominence. They become the authority. And now maybe the king has come. What would they lose in this? And there was a great disturbance. 
disturbed over what we might lose. I find many times we do not walk in a surrendered will to the, our Lord and Savior Jesus because we really think it might cost us more than we want to pay. What's it going to cost me if I really just follow Jesus? What's it what's going to cost? What am I going to lose if I finally give my heart to Christ and let him save me? What's it going to cost me? And we become disturbed. And we miss it. See, Herod missed it. He missed what really happened. The Pharisees, the scribes, and the teachers missed it. But you see, look, here's what happened. They, the distraction took place. And he, was, he, he was distracted and disturbed, and all this took place. I want to say something in just a moment about what took place in Connecticut and Sandy Hook. The question I've heard and people have asked me, and I've heard it asked abroad and on TV, and the question was asked when this horrific tragedy took place and children lost their life and some adults lost their lives. Heroes amazingly there. People say, where was God? Where was God? Where was God in this? I think it's ironic that the one we said, we're not going to mention your name, we're not going to pray to you, we're not going to take commandments, but we, where are you? Well, we dismissed him. We asked him to leave the building. Really? I mean, we need to own that. As a nation, we pretty much said, God, we really ask you to leave the building. Now, let me tell you what I've come to realize as I've listened to people ask those questions. Where was God? In the American 21st century mindset today, I think non-believers as well as many believers have come to this thought. Many people want a God who is on call, but not a God who is in control. That's what we want. Now, God, when we, get, when we have an emergency, we need you to show up. But until then, we got this covered. We're going to do what we want to do, live how we want to live. And, but if something happens, we need you to be there. If you live your life with saying, I just want an emergency, God, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. You'll miss what he's doing in your life. You see, because the thing is, that's what many people really want today. That's what they wanted in Connecticut. Where was God when we really needed him in an emergency? Well, I think he was there because the man had enough ammunition to kill everybody in the building. And tragically, 26 died. 27 counting him, 28 counting his mom. But the tragedy is this. That was tragic. But then the, the blessing was, that was all. That doesn't minimize the loss. But it tells you that God did not abandon them, although he was asked to leave the building. We miss Christmas. We miss Jesus because we're disturbed about what does it cost us to really follow him, to be loyal to him, to love him. And we begin to think he's our competition of in being in charge of our life. Because the truth is, we like to be in charge of our life. And he doesn't share his authority in that way. He'll be in charge or you'll be in charge. 
God is not a co-pilot. He's a pilot. I know that may mess with some of y'all's theology. But let me tell you, he's a pilot. He'll never be a co-pilot. We're disturbed by sometimes what it means to really follow Jesus. And we miss it. We miss it. Well, there's a third thing I want you to get. We get deceived by believing intellectual knowledge is enough. People will miss the real Christmas. They'll miss Jesus because they've been deceived. Thinking that what I know is enough. is sufficient. You say, why do you say that? Because the, the scribes and the priests and the teachers had all the knowledge. I mean, they were going, yeah, we know what Micah said. He said that, Bethlehem. Isaiah said, yeah, it's going to be born of a virgin. They had all the knowledge. But they were deceived. They thought that was enough. We know all this stuff. We know the Old Testament. We know the Ten Commandments. We know the laws. We've added laws. We know all this stuff, and we know the truth. We know the facts. With all their knowledge, they didn't have faith. You say, well, how do you know that? Because if they'd have had faith, they would have said, we're going to follow those wise men to Jesus. When, three, when guys show up and say, we're coming to find the king of the Jews. We followed a star from the east, and we're coming to find him, and you've just told us where he is. We're on our way. And Herod says, when you find him, come back and tell me because I want to go worship. He lied. But if I'd have been those scribes and priests that had lived with the word of God every day and knew what he had promised, I would say, wait, let me join you guys. I want to take the journey with you to Jesus, man. I want to see the king that has been promised as our deliverer from the throne of David, the tribe of Judah. I want to see him. They didn't. They didn't move a bit toward him because they thought their knowledge was enough. And they thought that's all it took. They didn't make the trip. But the wise men did. Have you made the trip to Jesus? Or you think just what you know is enough? I know a lot. Knowledge is not the key. Doing something with the knowledge is. It requires an act of faith. That makes a move toward Jesus. To know about him is not the same as knowing him. A world of difference. Do you know him? You see, the Pharisees, scribes, and teachers, kind of like uh, uh, one time we, we decided we was going to decorate kind of different. So we, we wrapped some empty boxes. We took boxes and wrapped them wrapping paper, put bows on them, and, and put them out for decoration. And they looked really incredible. And when people would sit there and wonder, what's inside the box? What's inside the box? The tragedy is there's nothing inside the box. It's just empty. But it looked good on the outside. It's just an empty box. That's like a lot of people's lives today. Man, you're looking good on the outside. You got on your Christmas sweater today. Looking good. Sang some Christmas songs. But on the inside, you're empty. Oh, you look good, but you're really empty. My children, when they were young, got some Play-Doh for Christmas. Play-Doh's an interesting thing. 
It starts out so nice and neat in a little can. Pop that plastic lid off, and it's, it's all soft and pliable, and you play with it, and, you, and the kids would build little things with it. And I, you would notice that as they would be preoccupied with playing and doing, and then they'd get distracted and they'd run off and do something else, they wouldn't put the lid back on the Play-Doh. And the stuff would become hard, and it'd crumble, and it'd get all in your carpet and get all over the house. But then the main thing is they'd come back to play, and it was just a hard lump. And they would bring it to me and say, Play-Doh's hard. Can you do something? And the first thing I would say is you should put the lid back on it. They wouldn't be this way, but... I would take it, and because my hands were bigger and my fingers were stronger, I could begin to work and begin to take that outside crust and work it into the center that had not yet hardened and revive it and make it soft again and give it back to them. Can I tell you something? Sometimes in the course of life, the circumstances and the events that we face, the heartaches we have, the disappointments we experience. Somewhere on the line, our heart gets hard. It just does. We don't mean for it to. We don't plan for it to. It just does. The exposure, just like Plato's big exposed to the air, gets hard. Exposure to life, we get a little hard. And the good thing is, we can bring our hardness to our Father Jesus, to Father God and the Lord Jesus and say, can you do something with this? And the truth is, He can. He begins to work with His strength and His purpose. And all of a sudden, softness reappears. I'm convinced people do not, they, they refuse to receive, they, they reject Jesus. They say no to Jesus because the heart's gotten hard. That's what it is. Didn't mean for it to be that way, just has. And some of you will sit here today and say, I've, I've, you know, I've never trusted Christ and I'm just probably never going to, well, why? Because your heart's hard. Got that way over time. I mean, yeah, you got the story about the hypocrites in church. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, and the things, you know, hey, I'm telling you, your heart's hard. And the thing you need to do is give it, come in an act of faith and let God just do a work renewing your heart, making it soft again. You respond to his invitation to life. And he does something miraculous in your life on the inside because he's big enough to do that. He's strong enough to do that. And maybe you're a believer, a follower of Christ, and you've gotten a little hard. Life's been tough. And maybe you've wondered a few times where God is. And you got a little hard, a little callous to his direction for your life. Why don't you bring that to him? Say, you know, I've kind of let the stuff outside make me hard. Can you do something? The good news is he can. And the great news is he will. Don't miss it. It's too wonderful to miss.